Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Hey everyone, Mike here. Now, if you're a regular listener to The Politics Guys, you're, you're probably wondering what's going on. And we said there wouldn't be a, a podcast this weekend, and all of a sudden, here there is. Well, it's not a real podcast. It's actually, what I'm doing here is more of an experiment. Uh, let me explain. When I first started my blog, I asked for comments from listeners, or from readers, rather. And one of the comments I got was, why don't you record it and release it as a podcast? Well, I had a few other things on my agenda, so I put that on my to-do list. And finally, I thought, well, why don't I give this a try? Uh, I have no idea how it's going to work, if you're going to like it or not. And so, again, this is an experiment. So it would be extraordinarily helpful if you could give me your feedback, whether you like it, whether you don't, what you think could be improved. Really, anything would be greatly appreciated. And to do that, you can either uh, leave a comment on our Facebook page, our Politics Guys Facebook page, or you can just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com. I said, either way, positive, negative, anything in between, it would be great to know. And now, without any further ado, I will get to it. I am a big fan of avocados. In fact, I eat them just about every single day. Uh, mostly it's in salads. My wife makes some amazing salads with avocado and all kinds of other great stuff. But also, sometimes I, I make this, what I think is a really incredible avocado, chocolate, peanut butter, protein, powder, smoothie sort of thing. It's a real calorie and fat bomb, but it tastes great. And if you're interested in the recipe for that, let me know. I'd be happy to send that along to you. But, you know, sometimes I'll just, in, especially in the summer, just kind of slice one up, put some hot sauce on it, and they're really great just like that. And so I have kind of a very avocado-centric life. That sounds weird. Anyway, but it didn't used to be that way. In fact, for most of my life, avocados were completely unknown to me. And that's not because I was this sort of weird, sheltered kid. I mean, I was a weird kid, but you know, there are other reasons there. But it's because until not very long ago, avocados were practically an exotic fruit to most Americans. And that definitely includes me. Let me give you some data on this to kind of illustrate what I mean. Back in 2000, which to me just seems like yesterday, but you know, I'm old. Anyway, but back in 2000, U.S. avocado consumption averaged just over two pounds per person. That's where cauliflower is today. And cauliflower, sorry, that's just nasty stuff as far as I'm concerned. Now, since then, consumption has gone way up. In 2016, so last year we have data from, it hit 7.1 pounds per person. And if you do the math, that's a 255% increase. And that's even more impressive when you consider the fact that during that period, the United States has added nearly 41 million people to its population. So this puts avocados right there in the which you could call maybe the produce mainstream. I mean, they're right up there with pineapples. They average around seven pounds per person per year. Strawberries, 7.8 pounds. And grapes also at 7.8 pounds. And as you might expect, right, all of this avocado eating, it's generating a lot of revenue. According to the Haas Avocado Board, $2 billion, or not quite $2 billion, in 2016. So the question is, or the question should be, 
Well, how did avocados go from the fruit equivalent of cauliflower to, uh, you know, a really strong position in produce? And the answer here has an awful lot to do with politics. The story starts really over a century ago. Back in 1914, the U.S. government banned importation of all Mexican avocados. Now, they did it, well, they claimed they did it because American growers said, oh, Mexican avocados, they've got this avocado weevil thing, and avocado weevil is sort of a nasty-looking thing. But, you know, according to the Mexicans, that was just an excuse to shut out foreign competition. I tend to agree with them a little bit on that. Anyway, I don't know for sure if the U.S. was facing any kind of an avocado weevil epidemic or anything like that in 1914, but what I am sure of, well, two things I'm sure of. Number one, there was actually no great avocado weevil infestation in 1915, so yay, success. And second, the ban on Mexican avocados created a problem for American avocado lovers. And here's why. California, and to a much lesser extent Florida, are the only states in the continental United States that can successfully grow avocado trees on a large scale. But even in California, which, you know, is a pretty temperate sort of climate, at least big parts of it, which produces about 85% of all domestically grown avocados, even California doesn't have a climate that allows for year-round avocado growing. And what that does is it creates a natural limit to avocado production in the U.S. And so once that ban went into effect, Americans' access to avocados was seriously limited. And that's pretty much where things stood for quite a long period of time. In fact, all the way up until 1993, that's when the Senate ratified the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, as it's generally referred to. Now, NAFTA was designed to eliminate trade barriers between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada on a wide variety of things. It was supposed to create a lot of jobs and, of course, enhance economic growth all the way throughout North America. Now, avocados weren't exactly a main focus of NAFTA, but the passage of NAFTA had a big effect on the avocado market in the United States. Now, like with most uh, major legislative or treaty treaty achievements, I guess you'd call them, it took a few years before between the point where it was signed and we started to see effects. Now, after NAFTA was signed, the Mexican government uh, started to Uh, think about putting restrictions on U.S. grain imports because they felt that they weren't being treated fairly in terms of avocados and some other things. But in 1997, the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, sort of went along with this, got on the free trade bandwagon at least a little bit more, and they started to loosen up their restrictions on avocados from Mexico. And they ruled that avocados that were grown in Mexico's uh, Michoacan region, I hope I'm getting that right, I don't know, but that they could be imported into the U.S. so long as they met USDA produce requirements. Now, avocado growers in California, at the time, they produced around 90% of all avocados that were eaten in the United States. They reacted pretty much how you'd expect really any monopolist to react. They said, oh, there's still this grave threat from Mexican avocado weevils and probably some other things, who knows? And they said, you know, these cheap imports, what they're going to do is they're going to perhaps even lead to the rise of a dangerous, unregulated 
black market in avocados. Now, you might say, well, that just sounds ridiculous. But on the other hand, there actually are some pretty weird black markets. Like, believe it or not, there's actually a black market for maple syrup of all things. And that's kind of a whole other story. Maybe I'll, I'll do something on that at some point in the future. Anyway, the USDA decided to move slowly in response to these protests from domestic growers, and at first, they only allowed Mexican avocados into 19 states in the U.S. Northeast and Midwest regions. And of course, that's far away from U.S. avocado growing operations, which again are centered in California and to a much lesser extent, Florida. And they only allowed these Mexican avocados from November through February, and that's when weather essentially shut down all U.S. production of avocados. Now, since then, these restrictions have been relaxed a number of times, and now uh, Michoacan avocados have full access to the entire U.S. market, and that is from 2007 to the present. And so what this has resulted in, well, a number of things. One thing is that it's really allowed Mexico to completely dominate the U.S. avocado market. In 2016, Mexican imports, avocado imports, made up over 80% of the U.S. avocado supply. You might say, well, see, those, I guess those California avocado growers were right to be concerned about Mexicans coming in and, and you know, and taking the... Uh, taking the market away from U.S. avocados, but that's not really the case. In fact, just the opposite. In the 10 years that Mexican avocados have had really unfettered access to the U.S. market, U.S. avocado production has increased by an average of 29% per year. I mean, that's a pretty big increase, right? Now, in the decade before that, again, that's the point where Mexican avocados didn't have as much access to the market the average increase for domestic growers was only 3%. Now, it's the same story, essentially, if you look at, say, the overall value of domestic avocado production. And that's basically, uh, you derive that figure by the number of tons of avocados produced in the U.S. multiplied by the price per ton. Since 2007, it's gone up an average of 22% per year. Whereas from 1997 to 2006, the average increase was 0%. So in other words, this helped everyone. Opening up the, Mexi the, Mexican, uh, the avocado market in the U.S. to Mexican imports increased demand, increased availability, and it actually benefited both Mexican producers and U.S. producers. Now, all those avocados obviously don't grow and harvest themselves. And in my next post, and which might actually be my next uh, uh, podcast, if you folks think this is worthwhile, I'll actually take a look at the politics of agricultural labor in the United States, including labor for uh, avocados, and look at things like whether immigrants are taking jobs from Americans on, on farms, uh, if the government, U.S. government does enough to protect immigrant laborers, why agricultural producers uh, turn to illegal immigrant labor so much, and lots more kind of related things. All right, well, that's it for this experimental podcast episode. Again, it would be really helpful if you let me know what you think, and you can do that by responding on our Facebook, our Politics Guys Facebook page, or by just sending me an email. It's mike at politicsguys.com. All right. Thanks so much. And as always, uh, we appreciate your support. And uh, if you are interested in supporting the show, just go to politicsguys.com and click on, click on, no, click on the either the Patreon or PayPal links there. Thanks.